Welcome back, everybody, to Who's Your Band? Today on Who's Your Band. First off, as as always, let's let's, let's say hello to Mr. Sean Morton, my co-host. How are you, Sean? You know, Jeffrey, the beautiful thing. I just took my glasses off. Um, I don't know if you really know this about me, but I do wear contacts. So when I don't have my glasses on, uh, I'm basically like Stevie Wonder. Uh, I can't see a goddamn thing. So right now you are completely blurry, and this is the best you've ever looked. Yes, I blurry is my best side. That's what I've been told. Uh-huh. I'll put them on. There we go. Okay. okay. All right. Let's introduce our guest today because our guest is not only a comedian, he's an actor. It is the one and the only, the handsome Mr. Bob DeBono. Give it up for Bob. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. Good you, Bob? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. You know, just, uh, Taking day by day, I guess, right? It's weird, mm-hmm. you know? We're not really, it's like, got to be creative now to work and make money and just a strange time, right? It is a strange time. And we've been trying, we've been trying to get you on the show for a little bit because you've been, uh, you've been pretty busy, actually. You know, tell us what you've been up to, man. What you been up to? What's been uh, going on with you? Yeah, pretty, pretty grateful that um, when, uh, when all the com, you know, when the comedy stopped last March, and, uh, you know, there was just no clubs and everything was shutting down. Um, there was still all these private events that I was able to do to do Trump. So like stuff around the country because he was running and it was like that was like a big thing. I was getting all these great projects, everything and, and on both sides, like right and left, like. One weekend I was at the Georgia boat parade and they're all like staunch Republicans and they want Trump to be out there talking to like 500 boats on the water. And then the next week I'm with YG doing a music video, Um, you know, and that can't be an audience that, you know, can't be any more anti-Trump. Of course, he's known for fuck Donald Trump, that song. So it's just all these really cool projects and that kept me afloat, thankfully, but. So and what are you seeing as you're traveling across the country? You know, were you were were people did they like the impression? Were they kind of like giving you a hard time? Did you ever get any backlash from it? Yeah, a lot of back a lot of backlash. Like um doing an, a character, I guess I liken it to if you guys can think of any actor that played a very controversial character in a movie where people would go to that movie and be almost angry at the actor for playing that character. Um yeah. That's really what that is. Um, it, it, I kind of think about Mel Gibson doing that movie about Jesus. He got a lot of backlash for that. Just even touching that topic, the the, the Christ movie. Yeah, yeah. And they and then and then you know that's just someone who, you know, I mean, he directed that movie, correct? And then you right. have other people that have played characters that I mean, it's almost like being asked to play Hitler in a movie. And people right. are like, why would you promote Hitler? And you're like, I'm not. I'm an artist. And they're and, and I'm being asked to play a character to educate people, whether you like him or not. I'm just playing a character to educate people that this is a time piece of a person that existed in our world at some time. And he had an impact. And that's kind of is how it is with Donald Trump. You know, I'm not really a political comedian. Um, anyone who knows me knows I'm far from political. And when I started doing this character, I was doing it on Comedy Central on the nightly show, which couldn't be any more liberal. And then that show went off the air. And then I did the, stuff like- Wilborn show, right? Larry Wilborn that, show. The Larry was, Wilborn show. Wilmore, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Wilmore. And then right when that show went off the air, that was uh, right before the election. And then Trump wins and everyone's like, oh my God, that show would have been so great if 
that stayed on the air because now Trump's president. And now every week you have this great fodder. So then and then I'm like, well, I'm going to get my phone's going to ring off the hook. I'm going to get all these calls to do Trump on TV, you know, SNL and, and, and all these different shows. And nobody called me because I realized after a few months that late night TV being very liberal, we're so angry. There's such a hangover that Trump won that they didn't want to make Trump funny. They didn't want to bring someone on and make it light. They wanted to kind of demonize them because they hated them. So if you notice a lot of these late night shows, they'll do the impression themselves, Colbert or Fallon or Kimmel will take like a call in. So um, I was kind of depressed. I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this character. It's so hot. And none of these late night shows, which is where I belong, you know, wants to put him on because he's president now. So anyway, even though that happened and nothing happened on that end, you know, like, see, I got on CNN and I got to do The View and then I got to do The Voice of Trump on Murphy Brown on CBS. And those were all very, very liberal. Did Mika and Joe Scarborough's engagement party. Uh, did toured with Kendrick Lamar for a month with rapper YG. All very liberal. And then on top of it, I'm going around the country doing pro-Trump events where these people worship Trump and they want me to go up there and do like a rally as Trump. So it's been great, but people get offended no matter what I do. If I put up a video where I'm doing Trump, someone's going to go, oh my God, I guess he likes Trump because he's he's playing Trump, you know, F you. And then if I do something that's Trump making fun of Joe Biden, now it's like, oh my God, he hates Joe Biden, you know? It's like, no, I'm just doing what Trump would do. You know, I'm just, it's just a character. Ever fuck up and do like your pro-Trump thing at like a, at a, at a liberal event? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, even like I'll do a... Uh, a video for somebody like I do these cameo videos and I'll do a joke. I saw about you him. pop up on that. I saw you pop up on that. That was, I was like, all right, he's making some coin doing that. That's yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, thankfully like that, the cameo is like helped me survive the last couple of months. Um, and I, you know, I was referred by Elon gold cause I was doing Elon gold show on his, his live podcast on Instagram. And, uh, and I'll do Trump on there. And then someone who loves Trump will go, oh, my God, I can't believe you made that joke about Melania. He's our president. How dare you? He's our president. She's the first lady. It's like he's not the pope. It's like, are you an idiot? Like he's just a human being. And that's what comedians do. We find fodder in everything and we make fun of everything around us. That's what we are. We're sponges. Right. We're constantly grabbing information, ideas, thoughts, observations. And then we put it back out there. We regurgitate it through our own persona. And it's like they can't handle it. So I'll have people that are pro-Trump get mad that I make a joke where they think I'm making fun of Trump. And then I'm doing I'm out. I did an art gallery in uh, in L.A. where they put me in a fake jail cell um, with rat real rats. It made like page three of the Daily News the next day. And uh, I had girls yelling at me crying saying you're a rape i'm a rapist you're a rapist you're a rapist trump's a rapist I'm, I'm dressed in orange i have a wig on i'm a short italian guy and i'm now i'm a rapist because i'm dressed as donald trump they didn't even get it like we're making it's a satire so and these are the people that are voting i'm on the right and the left i mean that's that's what it is i mean on the right and left people are driven by emotion and I tell people, it's kind of like if you have a friend and he's married and you don't know, you really don't know the wife and the friend calls you every day and he just shits on his wife. Well, you would have a very negative impression of his wife. Why? Because your loyalties and allegiance is with your friend. And that's kind of right. how it is 
in the world we live in. You know, if there's a news network that you watch and it plays into your emotions and your feelings, then you're going to be loyal to it, whether they're right or wrong. And or it's someone that you're voting for. It's it's disgusting. It's kind of sad. You know, people don't work on logic anymore. It's just pure emotion. I don't think there are any more real news networks. No. I think they're all op-ed. I think they're all yeah. opinion-based. Yeah. And I don't think anyone reports the news straight out. What are you saying, no. John? Good. What I was saying was, you know, it's kind of what, what Bob was saying, how you don't have, uh, you have that allegiance to somebody. Like, But I've never met Jeff's wife, yet I have allegiance to her. Because yeah. I know how much of an asshole. You know how he, much of a jerk Jeff is. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so, the like, even, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, right, you right. just toward her because you know Jeff, and that he's, and and therefore you you're you're siding with her. I get it. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah, but, I, right away, I know like she has her her eyesight is bad. She's, yeah, she's no sense of smell. You know, right. it, it's you know, no standards and none of that. So which is why great. Why do I have you know? to smell? What in this scenario? Why do I have to smell? <laughs> it's cold you, going you and, rule you of three, your, Jeff. You and your <laughs> stupid. You and your stupid delayed internet today he, so, he moved to a different room He's here's an example like of, of emotion like I'm, i so i so yg's manager calls me yeah they go do you want to go on tour with yg i have no idea who yg is i didn't know who kendrick lamar was 2017 i'm just not up on hip-hop and next thing i know i'm like i got to do it because you never know what could come from it so now i'm living we out on, with them for uh three and a half weeks living on a bus Four, six buses, four for Kendrick, two for YG, living on a bus with YG and a lot of his friends from Compton. So I'm thinking, they're like, I'm like, what's who's Bob DeBono? And Bob DeBono. So they're like, YG. I go, who's that? They go, oh, it stands for Young Gangster. I go, oh, God, another another wannabe tough guy that some comp, you know, music company is, is you know, getting behind to market him as like tough, badass, he's street. So I go out there and I and I have no idea who is and I show up and I get to the bus San Jose first show I show up in, in an Uber I got my little duffel bag and there's a bus and we're going on in three hours and there's like thirty guys outside that that look like they're all from lockup and I'm like oh okay and they're like yeah this is the I thought it was at the wrong bus I go this must be the wrong bus and they go no no, no that's the bus and I go in and then and I I learn within an hour that YG is a Bloods gang member from Compton. And these are all of his friends that are Bloods members. And he's been shot and his friends have been shot and he's got friends in jail. And I'm like, wow, this guy is like the real, real deal. So I didn't know this. And now I got to live on a bus with three and a half weeks with these guys. And, and they didn't, the fact that I was doing Donald Trump, they didn't like the fact that I was doing Donald Trump. They couldn't even separate me when I was not in the makeup. When I was out of the makeup, they'd be like, yo, fuck Trump, fuck Trump. Yo, fuck Trump. We're going to put a cap in your ass, motherfucker. And you're like, dude, like, it's just, um, I'm Bob. I'm just a guy from New Jersey. I don't, you know, I'm not him. I'm just living with you guys. No, fuck that, Bob. You should have stood up for yourself. As Trump. As Trump. As Trump. You go and get right in their face. You don't back sure. down. You don't take that shit. <laughs> I know you blacks are going to vote for me. I'm just worried about <laughs> you being three hours late to the polls. That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> but, so it was it was great. But after the three and a half weeks, so I'm living on their terms. I'm like, I go to bed when they go to bed. You know, you're living on a bus with two strippers, YG's rapper buddies, and then they're all their friends. And it's like, how look, weird is that? How weird is that? Totally weird. And then there's like a couple, two white guys that are like roadies that are like, 
grizzled roadies. They look like pirates. They've been doing it for 20 years and they just go in their little, you know, they're in their lay in their bed with their headphones on and just like ignore everybody. So nobody talked to me for three and a half weeks. Nobody took like, how did you get this gig? They reached out. I guess they saw me maybe on the nightly show or, and then they emailed me and they were like, do you want to, you know, do a tour for three weeks, sold out 30,000 people and arenas. Was YG and Kendrick Lamar good to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're they're like friends. They come up from Compton, and and Kendrick Lamar is couldn't be the clean. He's a very clean cut guy. He's a very small guy, very clean cut. Doesn't drink, doesn't drug. And then YG, you know, is a partier, and YG is you know from the streets. And uh, I didn't know these guys, and they weren't really friendly to me. But then after the by the end of the three weeks, they respected me. Because even the manager, who was a, a white guy, was like, I can't believe you came out here to live on a bus for three and a half weeks. Like, this is like brutal living. Like, you do a show, all night we're driving to the next city, eight, ten hours, you're living on a bus. If you wanted to go to the bathroom, you had to ask the bus driver to stop the bus. And I was like, I stopped eating. So I was like, I'm not going to be the guy that take, you know, stopped the bus in the middle of the night. These guys are going to freaking kill me. So I stopped eating because I didn't want to take a shit. And it was like, it was so... <laughs> It was so brutal. But by the end of it, then I went back to do Coachella and they were so excited to see me. It was like they the the wall came down. I got to know them and I started to respect them and where they come from. And they respected me. And at the end, we were just we we're just guys, human beings. And uh, all the you know, all those um, certain stigmas that we had about each other were were taken away. So what did you do on the tour? I would walk out every night as Trump for about two and a half, three minutes on stage in the middle of the concert and do Trump like he was at a rally and start insulting the audience. You know, <laughs> look, at all, look at all these. I was in San Jose. Like, oh, look, look at all these Mexican women. I'm going to be growing so many pussies tonight. It's going to be unbelievable. And look at the Mexicans. Many of you, then they'll all be, they're all like booing. Boo. And I'm like, you're going to be thrown out of the country very quickly. So enjoy it tonight because you'll be thrown out. I can't wait to throw you out. You're horrible. Many of you are probably in jail, right? You belong in jail. So I was just saying horrible things. And YG's like, say whatever you want. Just piss them off, like whatever stuff you got. So I was just saying really just terrible things about them. You're all illegal. You're going to get thrown out of the country. I'm building a wall. Don't worry if you're gay. I'm going to put a glory hole right in the middle of it for you little faggots. Like just unloading on them. But in the middle of this concert, you have this YG concert. Here comes the music would stop, and you just come on stage. Just stage goes black. Yeah, stage goes black, and I walk out, and they can just there's like a, a spotlight on me, and they see a silhouette of me as Trump, and they see the hat, and and the wig, and I've you know I've, I'm wearing like thirty shirts. I'm bulking up to look like Trump, and as soon as I walk out there, and the light comes on me. The crowd goes nuts. And it's like a WWE wrestling match. It's like on the like You're the heel, right? You're being yes. booed every single night. And, and I'll send you guys the videos. Um, it, it's whole, and like at Coachella, 80,000 people, 80,000. And you walk out and it looked like Woodstock and people are boo. It's like a concophony of booing, laughing, and cheering at the same time, all in one. Because people, many, they all get it. Like they know the song's coming, fuck Donald Trump. So now they're excited. Like, oh, there's the bad guy. We'll all go crazy. But then you still had people on the tour that were really hard gangster 
gangbangers that would see me and they didn't get the joke. Like they would see me as Trump and they'd be like, yo, you're going to catch a bullet tonight, motherfucker. And you're like, and they would be real. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, like I'm, I'm, we're making fun of him. Did you not get it? Yo, you're going to die tonight, motherfucker. You're going to get shot mother. And it's like, they're dumb as dumb. Like they just don't. The dumbest people in the world, like just dumb. Did they, ever, did they ever blow your mind if like one of them would walk up with like, you know, the white guinea tea dripping with fucking gold, the hat on backwards, walk up to you and go, yo, let me ask you a question, motherfucker. Yeah. What do you think of the socioeconomic development in post-communist Russia? Do you think that, yeah. what, what's that your opinion on that? That would freak me out. Yeah. But a lot a little, of people, like when we did the tour, we did all, I mean, we started in San Jose, Sacramento, Nebraska, Chicago. Uh, American Airlines Arena in in uh, Miami. I mean, we did the biggest arenas, and most of the most, I would say, ninety five percent of the people in the audience were amazing. Like, I would walk out in between; they'd have a break before Kendrick Lamar, and people were coming down from the rafters to line up to get pictures with me. I mean, I was like this little, like a little hero, you know. Whether they liked me or hated Trump, it didn't matter. It was like, oh, I got to get a picture with Trump. You know, he came out during the concert. You know. It was cool. It was great, you know. So I, I had nothing but it was the hardest three and a half weeks of living in my life because you lived on a bus, you never really ate right, you never could take a shit, uh, no one really talked to you. YG's bodyguard was always trying to get me to do fight club in the locker room with him. <laughs> That's what they would do. They they he would perform YG and then they would go into the uh, the the green room. There'd be like 30 people in there smoking, drinking, and then they would have like fight club where YG would just like take on all of his friends in the room and like slap box with them. Could he fight? Huh? Could he What's fight? Can Could he, YG well, fight? He's not a fighter, but he's from the streets. So was he good? You know, him and his buddies would just go out there and just they like, beat the shit out of it. So I, you know, I'm a white guy. I don't know, guy. I was like, white. I'd be. I was like, what? I'd be, the f- first time I saw it happen, I was like, someone's got to break this shit up. Like, what the? F- <laughs> the people are knocking over tables, and Pete guys. One of his buddies, his nose is bleeding. I'm like, why isn't anyone stopping this? And they're like, no, no, we do this all the time. And I was like, oh, you see, we don't do that where I grew up. You don't do that because if you get in a fight, it's like to the death. Like, I don't fight with my friends where we're like smacking each other in the face. Like, unless we had pads on, you know, or or we're rolling and wrestling, but. They were like, they would go at it. And then, and then, and then I made the mistake of like the, the, his bodyguard was always messing with me. And he was like, you know, this 250 pound Jack diesel, angry guy. And he hates Trump. And he was never, he never would smile at me. And he'd be like, you know, fuck you, nigga. You'll fuck you. And he, he was always like trying to start shit with me, but he couldn't beat the shit out of me because he knew I had to go on stage every night to Trump. So that was the only thing that kept me from getting killed. Now, Bob, but you yeah. should have done you. You should have educated him. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, well, <laughs> the funny part was in the beginning, like he hated me, and by the end, then I went out to do Coachella, and he and I, then I went out to do recently to do a video for YG, and he's like my buddy. It's like all of that shit came down, you know, all of the ego, the alpha male shit came down with both of us. So happy ending. You know what thing. I know you're known for your Trump, yeah. but man, you you do great impressions. I saw you do, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Sean. Bob does an amazing, an amazing Rich Voss. No, uh, I've never seen you, that. Oh. Bob, do you, do you remember you were on that roast? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. And he does, 
So I did, I, did with, I had the hat backwards and I was like, okay, loosen up. I should take this homeless woman. That was great. When I was done having sex with her, I could drop her off anywhere. <laughs> We're home, loosen up. I got more credits than anybody. But your your impressions are great, but the material, even with the Trump and the yeah. and the voice and other voices you do, the material that goes along with it are just as good. Well, I think that's that's key. You know, when you talk to people that do voices, um, I think that's the full I always tell people it's like the full package. And it's it's great if you could do a voice, but if you can write material for the voice that's funny. Um, then you, it's a hit. Cause like there's guys that do, uh, you can do an impression on stage and I can do a great impression on stage and people go, wow, it's a really good voice. But if it does, there's no material to drive the, the voice, right. well then people go, hmm, you know, and then it's a dud. And so I remember early on, I would do impressions, but there was not, I would just do a line or a sentence of that voice. And people were like, they wanted more. They're like, oh, that's great but you know, give me more, give me a situation, do something funny with it. And so then you have to write for the character and some guys, you know, they do the voice, they don't write the material for it. And I think I always realize that that's so important, you know? So it really is. Now you, I think you have a great, like every man's voice. Uh, have you done any voiceover work? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, I started, I did voiceover work for spike TV. That was the, the first thing I ever got. I did spike uh, it was like, I don't know, 12 years ago. I, I did. It was the voice uh, for a whole campaign on Spike TV called um, it was like uh, something like some show that they were doing. And it was me, Judah Friedlander and Jan, uh, and uh, Mike Britt. And we did this whole commercial campaign and it was great. And I and that voice over landed me, my agent um, with Innovative and um so I, I was able to build a reel by doing these non-union voiceovers. And, you know, the guy at Spike kind of took to me and he brought me in like a couple of times to do VOs for them. And he, that was exactly what he said. Like, you're kind of like the everyday guy, you know, voice. Um, and, and that helped You don't me. have the Morgan Freeman type voice, the DJ voice, no. but, but, yeah. but you have that, like, again, like I said, that every man's voice, you know, very relatable. And, and like your whole persona, like on stage and everything, is also very relatable. Like like people would want to be your, your pal. Um, and you could see that in your acting roles, especially uh, in some of the commercials I've seen you in. And one commercial that stands out, Sean, I don't know if you've ever seen Bob, uh, he played a guy with gas in oh, one of these commercials. Yeah. That's the only commercial that my ex-girlfriends saw nationally on TV. So I was always like, oh, my ex-girlfriends, you know, they'll, they'll really be jealous, you know. They'll be upset they broke up with me. Wait till they see me on TV. And I did all these little spots and no one ever saw them. And then and then the one national, the big national I get, the first big national was the gas commercial. And that everybody saw that. And then I was thinking all, all my ex were like, oh, look at he's still shit in his pants. <laughs> slob. Still the slob I remember. What'd you do before comedy? I was um I was, I did comedy for the first time in my life when I was uh, 16 in a church variety show, all my own material. And I thought I was so funny and I bombed, they hated me. And I thought I was so good. And I used to love Gary Shandling. Like that was my inspiration as a kid. Gary Shandling was like my first him and David Brenner. And these just funny, like quirky guys. And, uh, and then I never did it again after that. I was almost scarred for life. I was like, oh my God, like, 
I bombed, like they hated me. And I did like 25 minutes. I was probably funnier then than I was now. And then, and then years later I started up again, but in between that I was doing what I thought I should do, which is what many parents want you to do. You got to get the job, get security. And my dad was a real corporate guy. So he was always like, you know, there are so many comedians out there. It is so hard for you to make it. The odds are against you. Okay. You better get a real job. So I, I was like, oh, I, I better. And my dad scared the hell out of me because, you know, you always want your dad's approval. So I went out and got the job. And I was an advertising major and I worked in advertising and then I was a sales guy. Who'd you work for in advertising? I worked for Weinar. Oh, sure. Young and Rubicam. Yeah. yeah. And then I was there during um, back when they were spiking the nicotine levels of Parliament Lights. And back when that movie came out in 92 with Al Pacino called The Insider. I was in the middle of that working for YNR and our client was Philip Morris and I'd work like 14 hours a day. It was horrible. And I'm like, I don't even smoke and I'm working with this company. It's so corrupt. And we're defending a company doing like a corporate campaign to try to make them look good. Meanwhile, they're like criminals. They want people to get addicted to cigarettes. How'd you make the leap from having a secure job, probably making good money at YNR yeah. to taking the risk and, you know, comics at the beginning, they make shit. So, like, how did you want, like, you know, was there a time where you did you work both or just say, I've had enough? I think like many of us there, you have that inner conflict where you always wanted to do this thing. You have this voice inside you that's pushing you to want to go and try this, uh, you know, this art. Um, but then the other part of me was the fear talking, uh, you know. And, and of course, you know, a very alpha male father that was like, you know, it, you know, he didn't believe in me. He's like, it's never going to happen. But luckily I had a mom who to this day is my biggest supporter. She was always like, you need, you know, she's a very artistic woman. She's a teacher. And she was like, you need to follow your dream and you need to follow your passion. And you could always have a day job and you can always make money, but money should never define you. And, uh, and if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have done comedy because I didn't, I didn't really have enough confidence in myself to do it. And so she was kind of like, no, go ahead, quit your, if you hate your job, quit your job, go do comedy and see what happens. And, uh, and that, and that after nine 11, you know, I'm like, you know what, I'm, I, I gotta just go for it. I can't stop playing it safe. You can't play life safe because there's no guarantee, right? Every day is, is not guaranteed. So I was like, I'm just gonna take my shot. And it was scary as hell. And I remember my dad thought I was nuts and he, he was, I remember my dad telling me he was embarrassed that I was waitering uh, because I gave up this day job. And of course I was like, yeah, I, I feel like this is a total stupid move, but I have to try it and knock on wood, you know, I don't know, 16, 17 years later, I'm still doing comedy and I'm not, you know, having to go back, but I still have that voice. I don't know if you guys have it. We are always like every day I wake up in a panic. Like it's like Joan Rivers used to say, my biggest fear is when this phone stops ringing. And that's kind of like what it is to be an artist. Like no matter what we do, if we have a day job or don't, the fear is what if the phone stops ringing and no one wants to hire me again? And I still have that every day. I grew, did that for about 19 years of my life. I used to go on tour with bands. Yeah. And, you know, you'd work and you'd be working for months and you'd make great money. And then you come home and you're like, I don't know how to plan like what I'm going to do within next week. I don't know what I'm going to do within two weeks. I don't know if I, I can ne- never get a phone call again, or I can get home, 
get a phone call and I'll go out for another, you know, six months, you know? Right. So I, I totally get what you're talking about. Bob is, is, you know, you're like one of the best people in comedy to talk to because you're such a smart guy and you're very like real. And you, I mean, especially early on with me, when I first started, you gave me always such great, great advice. And, you know, I told you to quit. What are you talking about? Thank God. I, 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 I know it was, I said, you you smart, quit. Like I'm going to quit. Let's all quit. Yes. Stupid. Yes. The, the first, actually the first night I met you, you did yell at me. Um, oh, you, I you, did you our beat, show or something, right? You beat me down really, but now you were very, you're always very, very, very nice to me. Uh, always very, very nice to me and always very supportive. And I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, so let's talk a little bit music. Okay. Because yes. the name of the show is Who's Your Band? And I love the band that you you picked. And you're a big Van Halen guy, right? Yeah, yeah. How'd you get into Van Halen? Let's so talk about that. Let's, yeah, I, I will, you know, when you're young, and I, I think I when I was a kid, I was really never, I didn't really have much exposure to music. I remember, you know, I would hear most of my music on the bus going to school, like in, you know, in junior high. Like, I think that's when I started, I think in seventh grade, when I, I really started listening to music and it was my first forays into music, were hearing the music being played on a boom box in the back of the bus by other guys that were older than me. Is this in New Jersey? No, Danbury, Danbury, Connecticut. Ah, okay. Yeah. An hour, out, hour and 15 minutes out of the city. And I, and, and of course, back then when you're younger and I remember seventh grade and you're on a bus you are, um, you know, if you were in the front of the bus, you were kind of like a nerd. In the middle of the bus, you were kind of like a, a regular guy. And then the back of the bus were the druggies and like the punks and the bullies. So I was right. Is that where you were? Were you in the back? Yeah, I was in the back. I was like, I didn't have the guys in the back that were bullies didn't like me. We had we would you know you'd go on a route in our block. The other block didn't like our block and we didn't have any tough people on our block. So there was no one to defend and protect me. So I couldn't sit in the back because the back had all the other tough guys from the other block who hated us. So I would have got you ready to go out on the road with the bloods. What's that? Right, right. That's what got you. So let me ask you, you're you're listening to music on the back of a bus and uh, you're 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 in the rough and tumble neighborhood of of Connecticut somewhere. And Oh, the hood. Who did you who, who did you grow up listening to? So I I so I grew up. I started with the Rolling Stones. That was like a first band I ever remember listening to. And before that, it was probably Doctor Hook. I mean, I was like in grammar really? school listening to like seventy Hook and the Medicine Show. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like you know I remember like listening to hearing seventies music when I was a kid, and then my first. Um, uh, exposure to rock was the Rolling Stones in seventh grade. That was the first t-shirt I ever bought. And then I'm on the bus and I'm hearing Jamie's crying. I'm hearing, uh, you really got me. And I'm hearing running with the devil. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this band is so hard. The guitar is so like, it just, it just, you know, encompass all the feelings you're feeling when you're, when you're 13 years old and 14, you know, you're, you're going through puberty, your, your, your penis is growing, you're getting pubic hair, you're like starting to get like alpha male, like testosterone, you're playing football, with your friends, I'm like, this is like, 
this like speaks, speaks about like what we're feeling. This is like the soundtrack of what my feelings are. I'm horny. I'm angry. I want to punch my friend in the arm. This is great. And that was my first beginning to hearing Van Halen. And that was the first probably album, maybe the second album I ever bought other than the Rolling Stones. And then I started to worship them. I mean, it was literally like, you know, buying circus magazines, couldn't wait for circus to come out. And back then that was when they were in their heyday. So we're talking like 1981, 80. Right. Because the album that you just mentioned, that's everything you mentioned was just off of Van Halen one. And that came out in 78. Right. And then the next year they came out with Van Halen two with, you know, uh, the big hit dance the night away, beautiful girls. And then like, you're, you're off to the races and they come out with four more after that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was like, yeah. Were you a, were you a bit more of a Sammy guy or a Dave guy? No, David Lee Roth. Yeah, see, Matt, the opposite. huh? Opposite. I'm the opposite. So here's yeah. the thing: as I as I've gotten older, my lawyer. See, I as I've gotten older, I've I've really been able to I cut it up differently, and I look at it with different approaches. Musically, Sammy Hagar was a much better fit for Van Halen, and I, I can mm-hmm. say that now that I'm older. I couldn't admit that, or I didn't even see it when I was younger. But musically, Sammy Hagar, way more versatile, much more, a much greater singer, much better range. Um, and his style lends itself to Van Halen because Van Halen became, you know, they were a hard rock group or like a, a rock band, but then they also, you know, they got into keyboards and they got to, to piano and they really, you know, got more diversified. And that played itself into Sammy Hagar's talents, whereas David Lee Roth is really showman first, singer second. Right. We can all agree. I mean, he really you know, on the early albums, David Lee Roth had a great voice for the music that Van Halen was playing. I don't think David Lee Roth his voice could lend itself to the music once it got to be more diversified with keyboards. It just wasn't the same. I didn't think he had that range, but I love Dave because I love the showman in him. There was something that David Lee Roth, uh, aside from Sammy, the showman, I've never seen anyone like this guy. I remember first seeing him. It's um, the, I'll tell you the video. If you want, if you've never watched it, what made me fall in love with Van Halen was the first video I ever saw was hear about it later, 1981, live in Oakland Coliseum. It's on YouTube. They played three songs, Unchained, Hear About It Later, and um, um, So This Is Love. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy, David Lee Roth, larger than life. He used to, he, back then in that tour, he dressed like he was like an Indian. He'd wear these like high moccasins, <laughs> these like tight leopard uh, or tight pants with the stripe down the side. He had, he had like 8,000 bandanas on. He had the long blonde hair. I had the biggest male crush on David Lee Roth. I had pictures of Van Halen all over my walls from Circus Magazine. I had a huge picture of David Lee Roth with no shirt on, sitting by a pool. And, my, and I remember my dad didn't know who the, he was like, what are you, what are you gay? What are you gay? <laughs> Who's this David Lee Halen? Why don't you get him off your wall? And I had all these pictures of David Lee Roth that was splits and jumping around. And, it, and the wall was covered. And I had this male crush on David Lee Roth. It was like this guy... It's like not a crush like I'm gay, I want to have sex with you. It's I this guy, I want to be this guy. 
right. this guy because he was so he was something about him that was so everybody effeminate. wanted to be David Lee Roth. He was like, he was all these things in one, a wild, like Apache Indian on stage. He was also very girly. The way he would move on stage was very effeminate. And so there's something about it. He almost looked like a woman to me. He wasn't even a man. He was like this really attractive woman who did all these cool things. It was, and I was conflicted because I was just starting to masturbate. I was like, I can't masturbate over David Lee Roth, but it was unbelievable. This guy's the physicality on stage was nuts. The splits and the jumping. And if you watch that video, quintessential David. Did you ever see the video? Hear about it later with no, David Leroy? Yeah, I've I've seen I've seen almost everything Van Halen puts. I'm I'm like you love David Lee Roth. Here's the thing with with David Lee Roth. Everyone kind of like does shit on him a little bit about his singing ability and you forget about him when he first came out. I mean, he lost a lot as he got older. He's yes. not the singer that, that Sammy is, but if you listen just like to the phrasing in a song, like little dreamer, like the little, yeah. the little stank he puts on, on, yeah. uh, on the lyrics. I mean, yeah. I can't see anyone else singing it. And yeah. you know, Sammy, when he comes into the band was a little intimidated singing some of the uh, Roth songs. Yeah. Only, a couple songs they would he would do. Um, can you see anybody else doing a song like um, "And the Cradle Will Rock," uh, "Mean Streets," "Unchained"? I mean, I think the the Roth era had more songs. I think the Sammy era had a couple of like the better songs. Like I think a song yeah. like "Right Now" is yeah, yes, like best work. It's yes. it's. It's so it's so good. And you know what he had? This is the genius of Eddie Van Halen. He had that in his pocket for years. In yeah. fact, it was used, just the music was used as the, the bed in a movie. Right. And then he can't put they put lyrics because he didn't think it was gonna be good enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah, um and that's and the thing get, about I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and then when they get uh, uh, Sammy, uh, we had a guy on the show who was the original first choice to take over for uh, Dave. It was a guy named Mitch Malloy, who, who was offered the, the, the job to be the singer. And then he told the story about uh, how they got together for the uh, MTV Music Awards. Right. But even prior to that. They they didn't even want to go with one singer. Did you know that they, you know they wanted to do um yeah uh, what's name Daryl Hall uh Pat Smythe Jeanette Napolitano from Concrete Blonde. They wanted to put out an album with yeah. all different singers so they could explore all these different genres of music that they wanted yeah. to go with. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. I my so my first loyalty will always be Van Halen with David Lee Roth. I think musically they they did a lot of creative things with Sammy. And I think Sammy's a very talented guy, but I, I was, my loyalties and allegiance was always with David Lee Roth because he, to me was a summation of what Van Halen was, which was like raw, hard party band. And he was the greatest ringleader of a circus. You know, he was this ringleader um, and in the songs that you're talking about when he sings, it was not even the, the voice, that he had this texture to his voice. Like I, I loved him. He has a great voice in um, little guitars um, in diver down. Like he could sing and he could, he, when that's, he that's wanted the, to sing, that, he could sing. That's the album I hate the most with him. By the I way. agree. I agree with you too. That that's, that was more the most, probably more of the commercial stuff. 
But I love, like his voice in that song sounds really good. Like he really hits his notes. But the early stuff, it was just so raw. And it was more of the, it was more of the personality behind the voice as so much too as the voice. You didn't care that he hit a note the way, you know, he hit it. You're not thinking about that when you're young. You're just thinking about the guitar and this really like alpha male raw voice that he had. And I used to love the little things he would do. Like when you listen to the songs and you get, and you get to like the end of a song, like cradle will rock. And like the little things he would do, he would just put in there like little, little words he'd yell out or like little, you know, sounds like, an uh, or just like at the end of cradle will rock, he goes on and on and on and on. Do you hear that at the end? I used to, the song would fade out. This is what I used to love about all songs, but especially Van Halen. A song would fade out. It's over. But then I would turn it all the way up and you could hear some of the shit that no one ever heard because they thought the song was over. But if you turn, the song's going down, it's, it's going down, but then you hear David going, you know, saying something like, he'll come out with a couple of words or he'll, he'll be talking to Eddie or he'll just yell out something. And you're like, oh my God, I never heard that. Because I never listened to that part that closely at the end. See, I'm a, I have a weird relationship with Halen because I'm an, I'm like an '80s MTV baby. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So when I was exposed to Van Halen, it was really during the 1984 album. Jump. Yep. So yeah. here, jump. So that all of a sudden, I'm like, all right, this is what this band sounds like. And then I remember seeing that the lead singer gets, you know, leaves the band. So now I'm I'm watching, you know, California girls and watching him do all this kind of shtick. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not, I don't have the ability to go back and listen to him because I'm eight years old at this point. And then I hear them doing like Yankee Rose. So I'm like, all right, this is fantastic. This guy's a great singer. This guitar player's nuts. Yeah. And then I see Van Halen has this new singer and I'm like, all right. So I remember Sammy Hagar from I Can't Drive 55 from the from the winner takes it all from the over the top soundtrack i remember all that shit yeah. and now i hear that van halen so i automatically gravitated towards the sammy hagar yeah van halen but when i got older obviously and you have the ability to have a little money in your pocket and you go backwards and you hear it i mean just two totally different bands totally yeah totally different bands but you know i just my, i think jeff even said it too i just prefer Sammy, because I think some of the songs are better, you know, yeah. right now, dreams I mean, when it's over, finish what you started. I mean, so there's some of the rock songs, you know, but you cannot ever discount how amazing David Lee Roth is as yeah. a front man. I mean, he's a top five front man of all time, you know? Yeah. yeah. Again, not the greatest singer in the world, but he fit that version of the band perfectly. Yeah. It's like, with, it's like if it was a party, it's like with Sammy Hagar there was more food on the table. And with David Lee Roth, they only had a few hot dogs and hamburgers, but that was the greatest party I've ever been to. You know, it's just like, I, right. he, he was limited, but the, the showmanship alone for me, that it was all visual for me. It was all visual stimulation with David Lee Roth. It was just the personality and just the in the songs. And that's what I was saying, like at the end of songs, did you ever like listen to the end when he would just yell out things? Like in Cradle Rock, I just remember it like, he would go at the end, he goes on and on and on. And then he goes, Wah! just that Wah! go back and listen to that on and on. <laughs> you're like, what the frick is that? I think the part incredible rock that, that everyone likes 
is um, that little that little break when uh, it's the producer Ted uh, Templeton yeah. goes, "Come on, Dave, give us a break." And then Dave, you know, one yeah, that was coming up, and then it just kicks yeah. back in, and that's that. That's great. Do you have um? Do you have a particular song like like a favorite Van Halen song? Yeah, of all time, it, it would probably uh, be here about it later. Yeah, really. Yeah, okay. and it, you wouldn't think that because there's so many big hits with David Lee Roth. Yeah, um, I think something like Mean Street, because yeah. you know that I, I could see like digging that, and like that, that, especially that beginning uh, riff. At the you know, guitar players are intimidated to play that. Yeah, you can't cut. I that. think that whole album, like Unchained, Mean Street. Uh, uh, you know, hear about it later. Um, Let's go off a fair warning. Yeah, and and those are all the, those were all great. Um, but I something about I think hear about it later because I saw the video with that song before I ever saw anything else. The video is so fun to watch David Lee Roth in his prime, and I love with hear about it later. It starts off with the guitar and it's very slow melodic, and then it breaks into a, that very hard dark guitar and he's pl- he's playing it's it's like layered the guitar is layered so he's doing one thing and he's also playing on a pedal that keeps the other part playing along with it and it's really great and then at the end i don't know if you ever hear the ending of hear about it later but he's doing all of this you know this guitar licks that a lot of people don't even pay attention to like i can listen to eddie van halen and find so many different licks where I'm like, oh my God, I just heard him do this thing. And it was like a second. You guys ever notice that with like a Van Halen song? A hundred percent. In fact, I kind of equate it to like watching a, a Coppola movie. When you watch The Godfather, like for, for yeah. the 50th time, and you're like, oh, I never picked up on that. The yeah. same thing with listening to Van Halen. You know, yeah. you're like, oh, I never heard that before. I never realized that before. Like, what are you saying, Sean? On, 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 you didn't like, you said you didn't like Diver Down, right? No, because no, you know what? It's a lot. It's a lot of covers. I hated uh, dancing hate in covers. the sh- in the streets. I I wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, I think my favorite song off of it is the instrumental, "The Intruder," is what oh, I yeah. like. Into Pretty about, Woman. I, I really liked um, my favorite song off that would be um, um, oh, um, "Hang 'Em High." I mean, the guitar. I think in "Hang 'Em High," that's a great song. Put it on, and you can listen for every little, tiny, short little lick, where Eddie is in between playing that those chords is just going into like a little thing where he's just going off on a tangent for a second. It's unbelievable. No, I hate that song. I hate that. I hate which one? Yeah, Big Baby Bill, Sweet William. Now, no, it's too tongue in cheek. I don't mm-hmm. like it. It was, and that was, and I think that was the whole thing with Diver Down. That it, it was, it was a, a rush put together album. The, yeah. the studio made him kind of put it together. They were just, they just wanted to put out uh, a cover of Dancing in the Streets, and yeah. the, you know Warner Brothers made them put this album together. Yeah. So that's why it's mostly. Uh, it's like really like things that would have been B-sides and, and yeah. covers and instrumentals. It's not a real complete album. I think it comes in at around 33 minutes as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I, 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 there were the, some of the songs in there, they were good. I mean, I, the first song I ever, I, that was the first album I ever bought was Diver Down. And the first, I remember hearing the first song, which was um, Where Have All the Good Times Gone. I didn't know it was a cover and the guitar was so fun. And the, and I, I just remember the guitar solo in the middle where it's like, wee, wee. it was like with the guitar was just like whistling. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I remember I had the giant 
his their concert book that my I bought off my friend because I didn't go to the concert. And I'm watching. I used to look at the book, this giant. Um, and I and, and Eddie looked so cool with the white knickers and the red striped shirt. And Alex Van Halen was matching with these uh, with the a blue and black like striped shirt with the, the the long knee socks. They were like so cool to me. But you agree that album was so weak and I hated covers because they were so wimpy to me. It was like, this is wimpy, like these wimpy songs, you know, you're redoing. I hated that. I hated Pretty Woman. Oh, I couldn't stand that. I, I never liked that either. I didn't, I didn't like it either. Um, like I can remember like Guitar Licks by Eddie Van Halen in a song where people, I would play it. My friends wouldn't even pick up on it. I could hear about it later at the end. Um, it's like closing out the song. Um, and they're just, and he goes, and David Lee Ross, like, I don't, I don't wanna. And he's just like, he's kind of like improving. I don't want, he's just yelling out things. And the guitar is just playing at the end. And there's one part where Eddie Van Halen, you just hear him go like that. He just does this really quick thing with his fingers. And it's like the coolest thing. And if you hear it in your headphones, you're like, holy shit, where'd that come from? Did you yeah, have I a favorite hearing, album? I remember hearing Pound Cake when, on the, when I was on oh, the radio when, when that came that's out. great. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, because I was, I was just starting to play guitar at that point. And I'm like, does he have a drill on his guitar? It yeah. sounds like a drill. And then yeah, with an electric the drill, the MTV Music Awards, and he's playing a fucking drill. I mean, people don't, you know, with, with him passing, you know, people take a step back and they go, wow, you know, he really was, you know, just a great guitar player. He was one of the greatest of all time. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize it's not just all about the speed. It's about the little intricacies that he did playing the guitar. He invented tapping, Sean. Right. Of course he, he did. And, and no tapping for him. I know. I mean, it's, it's an odd thing. Some people do believe that people did it beforehand, but uh, it, he did invent it. There's no and question. Then, the, the, what's, it's, um, it's funny. And when you see anything that's brilliant, in, in, in life, whether it's art or a guitarist or a guy who makes pottery or a guy who's directing a movie, when something's brilliant, it's so brilliant. It's so amazing that a normal person can't even wrap their head around how good you have to be to be able to do it. People take, you know, brilliant people for granted. I mean, Eddie Van Halen's like, oh, yeah, he's a, they just go, oh, he's great because they oh, he was in a band that was famous. It's like they don't understand that this guy was an architect, a craftsman. That was no unlike any other guitarist, you know, before or after him. You know, he's 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 a legend, and and to be a legend, you have to be a pioneer. And people don't appreciate the pioneering because they don't know what it takes to go from point A to point B to point C to point D to take it places that it never went before. They'll never appreciate it unless you play the guitar and you go, oh my god, I could never do that. One of my favorite stories about Eddie. When um, Dimebag Daryl had died, I don't know if you know who he is from Pantera. Yeah, Pantera. And yeah. uh, Van Halen was his his be all and end all. He was, and he always said he always credits in saying that Van Halen too is the reason why he picked up the guitar. And they became really good friends. And when Dime was shot and killed, Eddie actually buried him with the Bumblebee guitar from Van Halen too. No kidding, that's Van Halen too. Yeah, yeah. He placed it in the casket and says the greatest should have uh, his greatest guitar with him. And he wound up burying the actual one with him in there. Wow. You know, I, that was I, I, I liked what you said about legends and j- just just think what they now think about what he did, the little guitar lead that he did on Beat It. Okay. And how and how that stands out. And you know, he did it 
he didn't get credit for it. He didn't make a dime doing it because he wanted to play with another legend. Okay. And he put this thing together. He came down when Michael was kind of like taking a break and he's like, yeah, I'll come into the studio for a half hour. And this is what he threw together. Yeah. It's really amazing. That he threw that together. Yeah. And it's it's an insane lead. And and the other thing is the, the humility of Eddie Van Halen he, he never wanted to be in the limelight. It, it, you know, if, if you get the new time, did you see the new time life um, magazine that came out, which pays homage to Van Halen? No, no I didn't even see that. No, I thought, oh. I didn't think there was still a magazine. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Probably, they, they, online. But uh, yeah, that, that's the thing uh, about Van Halen and Eddie and Dave's relationship is that Dave was the front man. He, he brought, everything in and Eddie stood back. And then as it, as time went on, you could see Eddie starting to come a little bit more in the forefront. Yeah. And, and Eddie said it in the article in there, the whole, the whole magazine is devoted to Van Halen. And it said, um, you know, Eddie would say, Dave, you're the rock star, but I'm the musician. And that really encompasses who Eddie was. He didn't care about the limelight. He just loved, he cared about the music. Dave cared about, all the stuff that came with it, you know, the girls and the fame and, but Eddie, didn't so did Eddie. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't a quiet boy either. They, they, no, they no, all, no, no. I mean, Eddie was all, a partier, but he, but he would have been a partier. I think regardless of whether he was a rock star, he liked to drink and he liked to have fun, but he was, and he, you know, he, I, you know, he was, I, I'm sure he was with his share of women, but you know, you could just tell by, you know, interviews with him, he really didn't care he didn't go into music for that. He was, you know, as you know, he was a very well-trained uh, pianist by, uh, that was the first thing he took with Alex. They were, they were taught um, fundamentally with, with, in music because of their dad. So music right. was life from when they were like very young, from they were like five or six years old. So they were really musicians. And then the fame came after, whereas David was just looking to be, Hey, I want to be, a, I want to be the life of the party, you know? And that combination, an entertainer, like you said, he was an entertainer. Do you have a favorite album for of, of Van Halen? Um, yeah, you got to pick I one Van Halen and, album. You're on a desert island. What are you picking? Yeah, I, I, you know, I go back and forth um, because they all kind of have like their own uh, personality, which is great. Which really was nice to see their evolution. Um, I guess it would. Uh, Wow, I, I I don't know. I would almost say got to be balanced with Gary Strong. Fair warning, but I would say Van Halen one was the most had the most raw music on it. It was it was just raw. It was unbridled. It was before music started getting commercialized. You know, I, I just feel like there were no songs on there that were. I mean, like Fair Warning had Push Come to Shove. Like, why is that even on the album? Like I never got like that was a weird song for them. Van Van Halen one was recorded the way they did their live set, and yeah. that's the way they wanted. Do you know it was recorded? I believe in, I think in three or four days, the yeah. whole album. Yeah, and I have Two some demo dubs, and that's it. I have the early demos that Gene Simmons had um, put. If you can find them on YouTube, you know Gene. Yes, Simmons, I've heard them. Demo. And you see the 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 crux of the music uh, before they even produced it, you know? And then when you hear it produced, it's like, it's just sounds so perfect, but you, it's all there, you know, early on uh, before they came out with that album, all those songs were there. 
and they were all really strong. And then when they produced it, just the sound in that album is, is when you think of hard rock music and guitar, you think of, I think of that album. Sure. Do you have a favorite Van Halen album? Yeah, I go Women and Children first with uh, David Lee Roth, and then I go uh, For Unlawful for Common wow. Knowledge with uh, Sammy. That's a, that's a great one. Those are great what about ones. you? Uh, see, man, if I'm going to go favorite one with Sammy, I got to go 5150. I love Dreams and Why Can't This Be Love. You know, Love Walks In, uh, three of my favorite songs. And I still think Van Halen 1 is there is not a clunker on the bunch. Every song is great. And you know something? The the beginning part, the very first song, um, uh, you know, what's the the song where... Running with the Devil? Right, okay. Running with the Devil. Okay, right. And you know how it has like the the horns at the beginning? That That was actually Gene Simmons' idea. And it was them in their cars... Uh, blowing their horns and then in the studio they slowed it down and that's what that's what that sound is and i just think it's such a great everything about the album the creativity yeah you know what uh the songwriting um i love the diversity you have your blue songs you have your heavy songs and my favorite song off of it is little dreamer man it is a great song i can never get enough of it so i'm gonna go van halen one with with dave and um 5150 with Sammy. And one thing I love about Van Halen too is people don't realize that every band has a million years to write their first album. And that's why the first album always seems to stick out. Yeah. But Van Halen too is a goddamn great album. They did not they have, have a bad album. Sean, you made fun of Van Halen 3 with Gary Sharon. It's not a terrible album. Yes, it is. You know, I've never heard it. It's not terrible. No, it's not. Without Obviously. You is a great song. Yeah, it's not great. You know, I never heard the album. Yeah, don't bother. <laughs> I was so excited. I was so upset about another singer. I was like, I can't get on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 he really did. He, he got rap is right. He's a good singer. He was a guy from Extreme. You remember Extreme, right? Yeah. Only words. Okay. You know, I I I don't know about you guys with the concerts, but my first. I mean, my first big concert was seeing David Lee Roth and Van Halen in nineteen eighty four. And that tour, and I saw them in New Haven. I slept out all night to get the tickets with my friend Kenny Lee. And we went, and I remember I brought my little Instamatic camera to take pictures. We were like 10 miles away from the stage. And it didn't matter, you know, you're just like, I gotta get a glimpse of the stage. And some idiot behind me, when I went to take my first picture, vomited all over my back. (laughs) All over my back, got on my arm, got on my camera. And I got the uh, pictures developed and every picture, it was the picture and the top corner of the picture was blocked. It was covered. And I realized that was the guy's vomit that got on. Uh, and uh, uh, oh, uh, that I saw Van Halen. Tw- I saw him with Dave and I saw him with Sammy and I saw them with Dave as the support act for Black Sabbath on the technical ecstasy tour. What? Yeah, in uh, as a little kid in 1978, David Lee Roth was David Lee Roth and Van Halen were oh, the support wow. act. They were the opening act for oh. Black Sabbath. What was that like? Where'd you see them? Uh, Madison Square Garden. And how were they? How were they? Oh, let me tell you something. It was it was 
amazing right from the beginning. Like, you know, like I knew um, the Kinks cover that they did. You really got me. So I knew that going in, but they, they, they opened with, that was their opening song. You know, uh, I think they, I think they opened with, no, Eruption came. It wasn't their opening song. I'm sorry. It was Running With The Devil. That was the opening song. And then they went into, uh, into Eruption and into, those are the first three songs. Uh, yeah, no, they, they, they were great right from the very beginning. It was one of the craziest concerts I've ever been to. And I then I, you, man, I would have killed to have gone to that show, but I don't think I would have been able to get on a bus at two. No, no I, was a, I, was a, I was a little kid. I remember there were, we, these big biker type guys took our seats and we were like in junior high school. And I told my cousin, I was like, Joe, I was like, tell them to get out of our seats. He's like, I'm not going to go over to those guys. Like, no, tell me, those are our seats. He goes, you tell him. I go, Joe, we wound, we wound up all pussying it out. And then like, you know, you know, you know, remember back in the day, like no one enforced seats. So if you found open seats, you grabbed them. We went a few rows down and we, we wound up getting better seats. And then I did the sleepover thing for 5150. And I remember seeing them. And that was, that was a sick concert too. Well, how about this? I go to the comedy cellar. It's like, 10 years ago and I was down there hanging out one night and I'm like, Oh, I want to watch. They let me downstairs to watch the show. And I'm sitting there. I go, I go, you know, they go sit over there and that little bench. When you walk, you go and take a left, sit on the bench inside the room. So I go in the room, I'm sitting there and on stage is dove David off and sitting on the bench next to me. I'm not facing me. I'm, I'm looking at the stage and then there's someone next to me facing the stage. Um, kind of like on the side of me, but not looking at me. And I'm like, that's David Lee Roth. David Lee Roth was sitting right next to me watching the show at the Comedy Cellar. And I'm like, I, all the, I, I was literally started sweating. I got so nervous. And, I, and I, I was like thinking like, why is he here? And it turned out that Dove David, Dove David Roth owns a building that he rented to David Lee Roth. And David Lee Roth was his tenant. And him and Dave were friends, and Dave would come down to watch Dove do stand-up. And the whole time, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to just touch him on the shoulder and be like, hey, I just want to let you know, like, <laughs> I love your work. I couldn't even do it. It was like a, a nightmare in a dream where, like, there's a bad guy who's in, right in front of you in the dark, and if, you, if he hears you, he's going to kill you. I, I couldn't even get the words out. I was so starstruck by David Lee Roth. And, and all I did was <laughs> try to laugh loud so he would hear me laugh. I think his uncle owns the club next door. Yeah. You know, Cafe Wa? Yeah, his uncle, I think, right? Cafe right. Wa. Yeah. yeah. So when they when they did their when they did their uh comeback album in yeah. 2012, yeah. they they did a couple of uh yeah. secret shows over yeah. there. Another time I met almost met I had all these almost meetups with David Lee Roth. I was working in yeah. I was um 25 and I was I, I when I got out of college and I was up in Boston and I didn't have a job and me and all my friends would bounce at all these nightclubs so I was working at a club called Axis which is a very popular famous kind of nightclub in Boston on Lansdowne Street and David Lee Roth in 1995 was coming there to play with his no-name band and he was interviewed that morning on radio and these were a bunch of no-name guys and he was c coming there to play in 1995. It's not that long. Okay. It's, it's 11 years after 1984. 
And Dave and I, I, I they let me, I, you know, was, he was playing where I worked. So I got to go for free. And I'm standing like seven feet away from the stage. There's probably about maybe 100 people in the room, maybe 150. And Dave comes out and it was like, it wasn't the Dave that I knew. It wasn't Apache Indian with the feathers and the long Short hair. Short hair Dave. He didn't throw. He didn't even move around. He tr- he didn't th- like. He tried to throw his leg up in the air, and it was like I was like, oh my god! Like I remember people were standing next to me, kind of making fun of him, and I felt like so hurt and angry. <laughs> like how dare they make fun of David Lee Roth? You know, and he at the time he was probably only about. Uh, well, he was probably about almost 39 years old. He wasn't that old, but he looked like an old man on stage. There, there, all of that allure that he brought with him in the early 80s was gone. And I, and I remember feeling sad, <laughs> really sad. And he went off to his room and I didn't get a chance to meet him. But I yeah, really just think a 40 year old David Lee Roth is like an 89 year old everybody else. Yeah, like all yeah. that life that he crammed in up until forty years old really yeah, catches up. And that's what it was. He lived so hard, you know. And even now, he's a very, I mean, I, I'll always, I always, I'll tweet to David Lee Roth, and he puts up, he does paint, he paints now. You guys know that, yeah, yes. yeah. I always tweet to him and say, "Oh, I love your paintings," and I would love to hang out with that guy because he's a very bright man. He's a, yes, he's he neurotic. He's so intelligent. He's so quick witted. Um, sometimes he goes off on these tangents. I have no idea what he's talking about. And that's because he's, he's always, he'll say like he's hyper and his, and his mind is always moving. And maybe the drugs is also kind of taking him out of his, out of always making sense, but he is just such a enigmatic person. You know, he's a, he's a guy that he's just fascinating to me. So basically what it comes down to Bob is 40 years later, you still want to fuck David Lee Roth. Correct. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> on, on that note, Sean, Bob, this was this was a cool hang, man. Thank you so much for joining well, us, man. We, we really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. I love. I, I, you know, we don't get to talk about music unless we find. There's only certain people you can kind of sit with and talk music like this with, and really get into the nuts and bolts. So I enjoyed it because I don't really get a chance to talk about this with a lot of people. They have no idea what I'm talking about. You could say, oh, oh, the album was good, but they're not going to get into, you remember that lick that he did? <laughs> yeah, remember exactly. the, the thing he said? But tonight, go watch, hear about it later on YouTube. And there's three songs in a row, or just watch that song by itself, or and then watch Unchained, 1981, Oakland. And that's the Van Halen I had a crush on. 1981, Oakland, hear about it later. Yes. Okay. Okay. Jeff's going to write it down because he can't I have to remember. Write it. I'm going to forget. Uh, no, Bob, once again, thank you so much for coming out and doing this, man. We really do appreciate it. Uh, any, anything going on? Anything you 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 have uh, you would like to let people know about? You have a website. People can come visit you. You know, I'm just – if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I'm very active on there, at Bob DeBono, B-O-B-D-I-B-U-O-N-O. Um, and I'm going to be, um, hopefully, you know, once we get back at the club's opening, I want to record my first album, which I've never recorded and I want to record an album. And that was never a big interest to me recording albums. Uh, but now, you know, with, you know, the, 
everything. I have stuff on Sirius they play and I'm like, I got to really update the stuff. And now I'm excited to like record an album. I was such a perfectionist for many years. I never felt like it was good enough. And now I'm like, I think I have a body of work that I can be proud of and just get it out there. So I think that's, that's the thing I'm going to work on over the next couple of months is putting out the first uh, uh, live album and, and finding the location to record it in. Have you guys done that yet? Sure. I've recorded, album, right? I've recorded three. I never released either one of them, any of them, because one I I did very early on. I was way right. too obnoxious and green. And the yeah. second one, I was it was like a two years later, and I'm like, oh, this is horrible too. A couple of years ago, I actually like pressed them. I did like those little digital download cards. And looking back on it still, I was just like, no. But I'm in the same exact boat. Like right now, I am ready to go in front of a hundred people, bang out two shows, do an hour a piece. Yeah do all, all all this material that you know is good and it's solid. And, you know, you're such a different comedian than you were five years ago and 10 years yeah. ago that even though like a lot of the new stuff is really good, you still have some great stuff from yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Really, really good. And you really want it out there. So I'm in the same boat. I, I definitely can't wait till like, you know, April or May to, really lock this down and do an hour and, to yes. put out and, and I was such a, a perf- I'm very, a very OCD. Like I'm always like, Oh, nothing is, it's not ready. Or, and it's like, at the end of the day, people are churning out stuff all the time and it's not even, it's mediocre, but it doesn't matter because that stuff gets chopped up. It's on serious. And if anything, yep. you're making money and I get, I get money on the little stuff that I did and they're playing that all the time. I'm like, I just got to put an album. So I have stuff. My jokes are out there playing. Cause there's a lot of good material. And I was so worried about the whole package, like the album. And it's like, at the end of the day, no one's listening necessarily. Yeah. They may buy the album and download it, but a lot of it, they're just going to hear chopped up. If they're listening to serious, right. you just want those jokes out there to be played before someone else does those jokes, you know, and they're yours. Yeah, That's happened too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, fellas. This was, this was a great way. Bob, we wish you a, a happy new year. We wish you know, wish Sean. If I don't see you, I'll, I'm wishing you a happy new year. Our uh producer Adam Hulse will wish him a happy new year. Our sometimes talent coordinator Mike, who sometimes guesses guests and sometimes don't, uh wish him the best. And uh, we'll see you all on the other side. Take care, everyone. Take care, bye. See you later, guys. Bye.